Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, we have to be very careful in how often we use the word the today, apparently. The Associated Press is very, very concerned about this. In fact, they sent out a a tweet yesterday saying that they recommend avoiding general and often dehumanizing the labels, such as the poor, the mentally ill, the French, the disabled, and the college educated. They later said that they didn't mean to use the French, but that got a lot of people uh, joking. But apparently the now is under assault. So I guess uh, we have to be careful or we can be rational and just uh, press on as usual. What do you think? Greg, do you find it ironic that the institution suggesting this new rule, this new approach to writing is called the Associated Press? <laughs> now, I have That's my it. objections to what I would call excessive thes. Up until very recently, it was Batman, not the Batman. And we are National Review, despite the fact that everybody calling us the National Review, there's never been a the there. Go back and check. But anyway. <laughs> Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know, by the way, like the style book. So when you write for a big media institution, they have something called the style book. And the the purpose of the style book, at least when I was being taught, was for clarity, right? They used to say, if you're talking about a number, uh, you're supposed to say more than a thousand people instead of over a thousand people. Because if you say over a thousand people, that signifies, also signifies location. The UFO floated over a thousand people or something like that. So various phrases, there's just certain ways they like things to be written in order for maximum clarity, when you're saying don't refer to the poor, <laughs> well, the, well, wait a second, you know, income challenge, all of these new euphemisms make the language harder to understand, less clear, less obvious. So uh, kind of frustrating, but that's, uh, I guess, the nature of the beast these days. I, I shouldn't say actually, that's the nature of beast these days. <laughs> all right. On to our, on to our good martini now. And uh, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, just uh, starting off on his... Second term, winning by nearly 20 points last fall after uh, a squeaker back in 2018. But his first four years were so successful that a lot of people decided to move there, and he easily won re-election. And as you have suggested, Jim, he's in no hurry to announce a presidential campaign for 2024, assuming one is coming at all. Uh, But what he is doing, with a pretty large majority in the state legislature as well, is uh, hitting the accelerator on some major policy priorities. And yesterday, the governor was out talking about, first of all, his accomplishments on uh, issues related to crime, but also what he would like to see done. Hat tip to Washington Free Beacon. Uh, Here is DeSantis talking about where crime statistics are in Florida right now. Well, right now, the state of Florida, our crime rate is at a 50-year low. Overall crime down nearly 10% year over year. Murder down 14%, burglary down 15%, and robbery down 7% year over year. Here in Miami-Dade County, thanks to the great work that the men and women in uniform do every single day, the murder rate dropped by 15% between 2020 and 2021. 
and dropped a further 38% through the first half of 2022. So overall, a 50-year low. Uh, murders down, burglaries down, robberies down. But he's not done yet. Uh, the thing that's getting the most headlines is DeSantis saying he doesn't think it's right that there should have to be a unanimous verdict for a death penalty sentence. Uh, he thinks that there should be a supermajority option for that. Uh, other issues where I think a lot of people, especially on the right, but hopefully most common sense people uh, would get on board are issues related to fentanyl and child predators. Uh, the Free Beacon also reporting DeSantis announcing harsher penalties for fentanyl, uh, raising it to a first degree felony to possess, sell, or manufacture fentanyl or other controlled substances to look like candy, specifically because it uh, targets kids, mandatory life sentence, and a $1 million penalty. His press secretary, uh, Christina Pusha also talking about DeSantis proposing anti-crime legislation, including tougher penalties for sex crimes. The new proposal, she says, will ensure the minimum sentence for all child rapists is life without parole and advance reforms to reinstate capital punishment for these crimes in Florida. So, uh, Jim, uh, we'll see what the actual legislation looks like. Some people may quibble uh, here and there. But uh, in terms of getting a handle on crime, when so many on the left are trying to get rid of cash bail and pretend uh, that's more important to protect uh, the criminals than the victims, I think a lot of people are going to warm up to what Ron DeSantis is doing here. Yeah. One of the things I'm noticing is that even if you want to say, oh, year over year from 2021 to 2022, that shouldn't be that surprising because 2020 is the year of the pandemic. 2021, we're coming out of the pandemic. We saw a spike in crime in a lot of parts of the country. You know, you could say it was, you know, people going stir crazy in um, isolation during the pandemic. You could say it's related to the riots of uh, that came out of the George Floyd protests. You know, you could say it came out of all kinds of factors that were unique to 2020 uh, that incre- caused an increase in crime. We're getting back to normal, and thus you'd expect crime to go down. Okay, but still... You know, overall crime going down 10% year over year, murder down 14%, burglary down 15%, robbery down 7%. Those are all still pretty significant drops. And the fact that this is a 50-year low indicates that this is not some short-term blip that is not statistically significant. Florida is doing a really good job on crime. And for those of us who grew up watching Miami Vice, that's kind of surprising. Um, So now you kind of look at this, you're like, okay, and you'd like to think that all across the country, uh, every state would want to look at the states that are seeing reductions in crime and say, ah, okay, they're doing something right. What are they doing that we're not doing that we could get better results from? And we recognize different states have all kinds of different factors that go into their crime figures. Some crime, you know, some states are going to be more urban than others. Some states are going to be more densely populated than others. Some states are going to be border states. Uh, some states are going to have thriving economies. Other states are going to have less thriving economies. Um, you add all of that up and you'd say, okay, so you're going to have different, but you'd, you'd think there'd be this universal effort to say, oh, okay, this state's having good results. Let's look closely at what they're doing. Uh, in fact, we're seeing the opposite of that. DC uh, city council wants to dramatically reduce uh, bail and uh, you know bail reform that basically gets criminals back on the streets quicker. Uh, you're kind of left scratching your head saying, look, why, you know, why is the replacement of the DA in, in San Francisco not a teachable moment for every other part of the country? Why does, you know, the governor's race in New York last year not an indicator of how, you know, seriously the public takes it when they don't feel like they can go walk down the street and feel safe? Um, We don't necessarily see that, Greg, but I do think that, you know, one, you're seeing people voting with their feet. And two, there's just kind of this 
vivid demonstration that while a lot of criminal justice reform efforts had, I think, very good intentions and may have pointed to legitimate concerns with the way the criminal justice system treated people, how difficult it was for people to get their lives back on track after they've committed a crime and served their sentence. But uh, what we're seeing here is basically, you know, a slow descent into anarchy in some places and, you know, a complete failure to protect the public. So, you know, good for DeSantis, good for the state of Florida. And I think there's going to be a strong case coming in 2024 of, hey, do you want to go in the direction that Florida is going in or do you want to go in the direction that, say, other parts of the country are going in? Yeah, well said. And it's just fascinating to watch the instinctual reactions because uh, DeSantis sees, and if you look at the overdose numbers, uh, it's it's obvious what the problem is with fentanyl. And now they're marketing it to be attractive to kids. How uh, absolutely revolting is that? Uh, the, the child sex predators. And so, okay, this is becoming a bigger problem. We need to toughen the sentences. In D.C., carjackings are way up, Jim. So what did D.C. do? They reduce the penalties for carjacking. I don't know how they come to that conclusion, but it's uh, a reason why more people. Well, are... Greg, there are there are so many people doing it that, that we just we can't keep them all. So we got to put them back on the street faster. That seems like a good idea. Well, if the democratic crime policies make you want to drink, try to do it in moderation at least, uh, because you're not going to do yourself any favors if you're damaging your liver. And another problem with the liver is fatty liver. Look, a lot of people uh, have a problem with fatty liver. In fact, 100 million Americans do, and that makes them three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without. So take care of that liver, and now you can. There is a solution, and it's called Liver Health Formula. It's an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. It's manufactured right here in the United States, and it's approved by American doctors. You can try Liver Health Formula and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you'll get a free bottle of nano-powered omega-3 to help keep your heart healthy. You'll also get four free eBooks to support every aspect of your health. Try Liver Health Formula by going to getliverhelp.com martini and claim your five free bonus gifts. That's getliverhelp.com martini. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And this is an issue that uh, folks out West have been dealing with for a while. Uh, We have not uh, discussed it a ton, but you do focus the morning jolt on it today. And I have to say, there were candidates in the Arizona Senate race last year uh, focused on this because it's becoming a big issue, and that is water uh, out West. You've got these huge reservoirs like Lake Powell and Lake Mead. I don't know if they're at uh, all-time historic lows, but they're way down from their normal levels. And as you point out in the Jolt today, they're getting to the point where they might not have enough left to produce hydroelectric power, which would be a huge issue. And then, of course, there's the issue of having enough just water uh, for people, businesses, individuals, farmers, and that sort of thing. Uh, And so the government's getting involved here, Jim. (laughs) And so whenever the government gets involved, uh, things generally don't get a whole lot better because uh, the regulations get confusing and they actually turn into sometimes disincentives for people to do the thing that the government wants them to do. So what did you learn in all this? Sure. So uh, this is actually, you know, on the front page of the New York Times today, you know, going over what uh, I really should give credit to a uh, one of our contributors Sean Regan, back in July, had a cover piece in National Review entitled Running Dry in the American West. And he really walked through all of these issues. Uh, the West has been dealing with a drought for 21 years. And there is the uh, one of the many consequences of this is that the Colorado River, which may well be the most regulated river in the world, uh, is just having less water running through it than it did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, et cetera. And this results in, as you mentioned, the lowering of the reservoirs. Uh, Both Lake Powell and Lake Mead have 
uh, dams and hydroelectric plants that run on that water. And they're not at the level where they can't run those hydroelectric plants anymore, but they're only a little bit above it. Basically, uh, it's 80% below the lake's historical average for this time of year. This that's That's really serious. Now you think about it, it's winter. You know, you have more water evaporation in summer. You have less uh, snowpack melting and coming down in summer. So basically, this is the good part of the year, and they're barely above the levels they need. Things are going to get worse in September. Everybody's known this has been a problem for a long time. Everybody's been pointing fingers for a long time. Uh, the Biden administration basically said we want the states, the seven states that depend on the Colorado River to reduce their usage of water between two and four million acre feet. Um, now, by the way, keeping in mind, that's like about as much water as two households will use in a year is a uh, acre foot. That's about how much water you use to cover an acre of land in one foot of water. Now, the other good way of putting this perspective is that California currently uses 4.4 million acre feet of Colorado River water each year. So basically, the Department of the Interior is saying to these seven states, we need you to eliminate roughly one California's worth from your collective use of this water by the end of the year. They're not going to be able to do this. This is, you know, uh, they've always had a hard time cooperating. Uh, there's always been finger pointing. There's always been a claim that I'm taking my fair share, but these other guys are using too much. And the original, so originally the Interior Department gave them a deadline. They missed that one. This coming Tuesday is the last deadline for these states to work out a solution amongst themselves. The Department of the Interior says if that doesn't happen, we're going to start implementing our own. And uh, oh, by the way, that you know the Department of the Interior is the one who actually has the final authority of it. But we should point out that everything that they do can get challenged in courts, and you're probably going to see a lot of lawsuits about this. Now, the reason this is kind of you know an intriguing argument, what uh, Sean Regan had laid out in that cover piece, is that if you want to reduce people, if you want people to reduce their use of water, you have to give them some sort of incentive. You have to give them some sort of uh, reason to. And he points out that basically, right now, if you reduce your water, there's a question of, okay, who gets the water that you don't use? And what do you benefit from it? Now, a lot of people have said, if you set up something like a marketplace system, where like you say, aha, I have figured out how to reduce my water use by this much, I'm going to take that much water and I'm going to sell that water to somebody else. All of a sudden, you've got an enormous incentive. Now it's, it's basically being paying you to do this. Um, oh, by the way, there's all kinds of restrictions uh, under the current system because all kinds of contrary state laws. In California, if you decide, okay, we're going to take our water and we're going to put it into a depleted groundwater aquifier. Well, that's not considered a beneficial use and thus is not a legally valid use of water rights. So pumping water back into the aquifier is not good in the state in the eyes of the state of California. It's a ludicrously complicated system, and it's exasperating. We basically have run out of time to deal with this. Um, there, you know, my guess is that if they're not at the uh, point where they can't get the hydroelectric plants and dams to work by the end of this year, then we're definitely going to be facing it in 2024. Uh, oh, by the way, Greg, this is going to be huge. You know, like I said, eventually this is going to end up with the Biden administration telling California you can't use as much water. That's not going to be particularly popular. Uh, and the other state that really could end up getting the brunt of this is Arizona. Hey, um, Greg, how much did Biden win Arizona by last time around? <laughs> Rather limited. Yeah. Yeah. Not very much. Oh, by the way, half of the water, about half the water that goes into the central Arizona project goes to Native American tribes. Now, I know it would shock people to hear that the U.S. government can end up breaking a promise to Native Americans. I know that there's no historical precedent for that. But my guess is that's going to be another gargantuan political headache that the Biden administration is going to want to prevent. But eventually, a problem is, unfortunately, there's just not enough water coming down from the mountains because there's less snowpack, less snow, snow falling on there. 
you know, a tough squeeze is coming to the West and there aren't a lot of good options for it. You could probably mitigate this through, like I said, better, more market focused type solutions. But I don't think the Biden administration is likely to embrace that at all. No, I think that's exactly the way to go, because just as a gut instinct, Jim, when you hear that the Department of the Interior uh, is about to impose rules that the states can't come up with it, does that give you peace and confidence or does that make you groan and be like, oh, there's no way this ends well? Yeah. Everybody's going to say, oh, this is, you know, the Biden administration unfairly punishing my state and all that stuff. And the other thing is, is that both administrations have seen court injunctions, uh, you know, put the kibosh in some of their, you know, preferred solutions, proposals and changes they want to enact. My guess is, you know, they will say, OK, here's our plan to eliminate two million water acres uh, usage and California or Arizona or both or multiple states will go to court and say, no, you can't do this. And the courts will probably put in some injunction. And then the water demand will remain what the, at the normal level, but the supply will remain low and it'll just drain down. And at some point, either next year or the year after that, we suddenly can't run hydroelectric dams anymore because there's not enough water. Well, as usual, things that should have been dealt with a while ago as the trend became apparent, but as, as is the want for government and sometimes the rest of us, uh, things only get addressed when it's gone way, way, way down the road. So We'll see what options are available, see if the states come up with something real quick here. And uh, if the feds have to get involved here, uh, my confidence level is not high at all. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And uh, far removed from the uh, stress of whether or not uh, a number of states will have water, we go to the Senate Judiciary Committee. The Biden administration, with the help of Chuck Schumer, trying to push through as many judicial nominees as possible. Same thing we saw with President Trump and the Republican-controlled Senate back in the day. And, uh, well, you know, there's a lot of openings. District courts and, uh, in some cases, appellate courts. But uh, one particular judicial nominee is uh, getting some attention today. Her name is Charnel Belkengren. Uh, she is in Washington State, and she is the president's nominee to serve as the U.S. District Court Judge in the Eastern District of Washington. And earlier this week, she was at her confirmation hearing before the Judiciary Committee, and Louisiana Senator John Kennedy, usually famous for his humorous quips and uh, putting things into colloquial perspective, just very simply asking questions about as basic as they get about our Constitution. And, well, here's how the exchange went. Judge, on the far end, uh, tell, tell me what Article 5 of the Constitution does. Article 5 is not coming to mind at the moment. Okay. How about Article 2? Neither is Article 2. And so, Jim, the defense from uh, the judge's uh, supporters here is that, oh, it's kind of a gotcha question or, uh, you know, this is what not fair. And you got to look at her whole record. She's been a judge for almost a decade and she was a deputy attorney general before that. Obviously, she's qualified. Jim, if you don't know what Article 5 is, which is the amendment process, and you don't know what Article 2 is, for heaven's sake, the executive branch of our government, I don't think that's a bar that's really too high to ask someone to clear. It isn't. And, you know, can anyone have a bad day? Yes. Have we all had brain fart moments where uh, some obvious question is asked to us and, and our kind of, you know, our brain freezes. And for whatever reason, you, you, you go to that part of your brain where you usually store that information. And there's a yellow post-it note saying out for lunch, be back tomorrow. You know, yeah, we've all had moments like that. 
But when you have it on two, it's not good. And particularly bad when you're having them during your confirmation hearing. This is the moment where you're supposed to shine. This is the moment where you're supposed to be uh, demonstrating your vast breadth and depth of knowledge uh, of the legal system and our laws and our constitution. Uh, it's a little surprising there wasn't even a better attempt to tap dance. <laughs> you, gotta, you know, uh, you know, to, to to fill the air while you filter through your notes or something like that or something like that. I mean, look, you, you know, look, this is not the first time we've held judicial confirmation hearings. You know, the opposite party is going to be looking at you skeptically. This is the time to bring your A game. And unfortunately, this judge did not bring anything close to the A game or even the B game. This this was, you know, the the you know XYZ game. This was really bad. And we've seen this occasionally when, you know, I think it was like, was it some of Obama's uh ambassadorial nominations didn't know some of the most basic facts about the countries they were going to? This feels like one of those. I don't know if the nomination will be withdrawn, but anybody looking for any reason to vote against this nominee just got it. Um, and I guess what's you know, like you're gonna have inevitably some you know bumps in the road of a judicial confirmation process but this was a very avoidable you know uh the sort of uh the sort of problem sort of mistake the sort of of uh embarrassment that really could be you know could and should be taken care of with better preparation and it's you know again having on a one question would be one thing but two really just comes up and that's you know i, I don't like using metaphors like this but Greg, I hate to admit, this is kind of the butt fumble of judicial confirmation hearings. <laughs> it's not just a mistake. It's a mistake that makes you look really bad. Uh, yeah, it's a good analogy. And I I don't want to extrapolate too much from a 20-second exchange here. But some folks are looking at this and saying, uh, this proves that they're more interested in activists and people who will uh, advance the agenda as opposed to people who have a strong grasp in constitutional law. I think there's at least a partial uh, uh, factor in that and some of the choices that Biden is making. I, I mean, we've talked about his cabinet, for heaven's sake, is not exactly based on sheer competence. Uh, he's checking a lot of demographic boxes. And so uh, without reading too much into this one exchange, uh, do you think that's a factor here? Look, it's it's hard to rule that out. Uh, and I think it says something about, I, I guess the thing that gets me is that let's say you're a Biden administration judicial nominee. You want to look really good. You know Republicans are looking to pounce, as most of the media would put it, on any <laughs> screw up you make. So that's the moment. You know, we actually, for ironically, um, you know, Biden's Supreme Court nominee handled this fairly well and you know answered all those questions, downplaying all the ideological stuff and basically attempting to showcase her knowledge about all kinds of legal constitutional issues. Um, this this almost I don't know if this nominee did not practice, didn't was not well prepped, but it certainly does not come across that way, and that kind of indicates maybe it's a lack. It, it just represents a fun uh, almost a fundamental misunderstanding of what was needed to get confirmation. Uh, and look, maybe the you know now the Democrats have an entire you know two seat majority. Um, you know, maybe the attitude is, ah, eh, we don't even need to worry about you know impressing Republican. We don't we don't need to worry about Republican votes on the judiciary judiciary committee anymore. Yeah, it's possible. I haven't seen a, any statement from any Democrats saying this was uh, disqualifying or anything like that. So, yeah, maybe it won't matter, which is kind of kind of concerning. But uh, Jim, on that note. We have reached the weekend. Enjoy the championship games, which, of course, we are not part of with our teams. But nonetheless, hopefully they're good games and we'll uh, know who's in the Super Bowl come Monday. See you then.
See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. And please, please tell some friends about us as well. We'd love to have them with us as well. Uh, Thanks for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep them coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us both on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.